section nine of the begum's fortune by jules verne translated by w h g kingston this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine p p c the situation was indeed serious what could poor max do whose hours were already numbered and whose last night might have come with the setting sun he did not sleep for an instant not from the dread of never awakening as herr schultz had said but because his heart was too full of thoughts of frankville and of the impending catastrophe what shall i attempt he thought to himself to destroy that gun blow up the tower it stands on how could i manage it escape escape when my room is guarded by a couple of giants and then suppose i could get away from stahlstadt before the thirteenth of september how could i help them to be sure if not our beloved city i might at least save the inhabitants i might fly to them shouting escape escape without delay you are in danger of perishing by fire and steel fly all of you for your lives then max's thoughts passed into another channel that villain schultz he thought even admitting that he has exaggerated the destructive effects of his shell and that he cannot really fire the whole town it is very certain that with a single shot he can burn a considerable part it's a frightful machine he has invented and notwithstanding the distance between the two towns it will easily send the projectile over it the speed too must be twenty times superior to any hitherto obtained something like ten thousand yards or nine miles a second it's actually a third of the speed of the earth in its orbit is it possible oh if only that horrible gun would blow up at the first shot but there is no hope of that the metal of which it is made will stand anything how exactly the wretch knows the position of frankville without going out of his den he can point his cannon with mathematical precision and as he said the shell will undoubtedly fall in the very heart of the city how can the unhappy inhabitants be warned max had not closed an eyelid when day dawned he then rose from the bed on which he had tossed in feverish restlessness come he said to himself it will be for another night as this executioner means to spare me suffering he no doubt will wait till sleep getting the better of my anxiety has overpowered me and then what sort of death can he have in store for me does he think of killing me with some decoction of prussic acid whilst i sleep will he introduce some of that carbonic acid gas which he has at his command into my room will he not rather use it in a liquid form such as he has in his glass shells when its sudden return to a gaseous state produces a hundred degrees of frost and the next day instead of me instead of this strong well-constituted body so full of life there will be nothing but a dried frozen shrivelled mummy oh the savage well well if it must be so let my heart be frozen and my life wither away in that unbearable atmosphere if only my friends dr saracen his family jeanette 
my little jeanette may be saved but to effect that i must escape well escape i will as he uttered these words max though he believed himself locked into his room instinctively laid his hand on the handle of the door to his great surprise it opened and he went down as usual and out into the garden where he was accustomed to walk ah he thought i am a prisoner in the central block though not in my room that's something in my favour however no sooner was max outside than he saw that though apparently free he in reality could not make a step without being escorted by the two personages who answered to the historic or rather prehistoric names of arminius and sigmar he had often wondered when he met them about the place what could be the duty of those two huge men in grey cloaks with their bull necks herculean muscles dark red faces bristling with thick moustaches and bushy whiskers he now knew what that duty was they were the executioners of herr schultz's darkest deeds who for the present were acting as his bodyguard these two giants never let him out of their sight lying at the door of his room and dogging his steps when he walked in the park the formidable array of revolvers and daggers which each carried in his belt rendered hopeless any attempt to escape from them with all this they were dumb as fish max tried in a diplomatic way to get up a conversation with them but only received a ferocious glare in reply even the offer of a glass of beer which he had some reason to suppose irresistible was made in vain after observing them for fifteen hours he discovered that they had one weakness only one a pipe which they took the liberty of smoking close at his heels this single weakness max determined to turn to account how he did not know he could not even imagine but he had vowed to escape and nothing should be neglected that could in any way assist him time was pressing what was to be done at the least sign of rebellion or flight max was sure of receiving a couple of bullets in his head even supposing they missed he was still in the centre of a triple fortified line guarded by a triple row of sentinels according to his custom the former pupil of the central school correctly put the situation in the form of a mathematical problem given a man guarded by two unscrupulous ruffians individually stronger than he and armed to the teeth the man must first escape the vigilance of these warders this done he must get out of a fortified place all the entrances to which are strictly watched max pondered this double question a hundred times but always came to the conclusion which is impossible however the gravity of his situation seemed to sharpen all his faculties of invention whether chance alone gave the finishing touch or not would be difficult to say it happened that the next day as max was walking in the park his eyes 
fell on a shrub the appearance of which instantly attracted him it was a dull-looking herbaceous plant its leaves alternately oval pointed and double with great red bell-shaped monopetalous flowers hanging by auxiliary stalks max had merely studied botany as an amateur but it immediately occurred to him that this shrub had the characteristics of one of the order solanacea quite at a venture he gathered a leaf and slightly chewed it as he pursued his walk he was not mistaken a feeling of heaviness in his limbs accompanied by a sensation of nausea soon convinced him that he had close at hand a natural laboratory of belladonna that is to say the most active of all narcotics he strolled on until he reached a small artificial lake which stretched away to the southern end of the park and supplied a cascade which by the by was evidently copied from that in the boy de boulogne where does the water of that cascade go to thought max it first flowed into the bed of a little river which after describing various turns and bends finally disappeared at the limits of the park there was evidently an outlet and to all appearance the river escaped by filling one of the subterranean channels which watered the plain beyond stalstadt in this max saw a gate of egress it was certainly not a carriageway but it was an opening and suppose the channel is barred by an iron grating objected the voice of prudence nothing ventured nothing have files weren't made to gnaw away corks and there are capital files in the laboratory so answered another ironical voice one that prompted daring resolves in two minutes max's determination was made an idea as it may be called had darted into his mind one that perhaps could not after all be carried out but which he would attempt if death did not first overtake him he sauntered back towards the shrub with red flowers and gathered two or three leaves in such a way that his guards could not fail to see him then returning to his room he quite openly dried these leaves before the fire rubbed them in his hands to crush them and mixed them with his tobacco during the six following days max to his extreme surprise woke up quite well every morning had herr schultz whom he had not again seen and never met in his walks had he given up his plan of making away with him no it was not likely any more than he would relinquish that of destroying dr saracen's city max made use of this permission to live and every day renewed his manoeuvre he took care of course never to smoke the belladonna himself and therefore he kept two packets of tobacco one for his personal use the other for daily show his object was simply to arouse the curiosity of arminius and sycamore confirmed smokers such as these two ruffians were sure soon to notice the shrub from which he took the leaves imitate the operation and try how they liked the mixture this supposition was correct and the result proved equal to his anticipations 
on the sixth day the eve of the fatal thirteenth of september max as he glanced carelessly behind him had the satisfaction of seeing his guards collect a little store of the green leaves an hour later he observed that they were drying them at the fire rubbing them in their great horny hands and mixing them with their tobacco they seemed already licking their lips in anticipation was it max's intention merely to stupefy arminius and sigamer no that was not sufficient eluding their vigilance he had still to pass down that stream even if it should prove to be miles in length but he had arranged his plan it was true there were nine chances in ten that he would perish but as he was already condemned to death that did not much matter evening came with it the supper hour afterwards a walk the inseparable trio took the way into the park without hesitating without losing a minute max proceeded straight towards a building standing alone and which was no other than the workshop where all the models were made he sat down on a bench outside filled his pipe and began to smoke arminius and sigamer who had their pipes already sat down on a neighboring seat and soon were puffing away the effects of the narcotic were not long in becoming visible before five minutes had passed the two clumsy giants were yawning and stretching like bears in a cage their eyes grew dim a dull sound was in their ears their complexions changed from red to purple their arms fell useless at their sides their heads dropped on their breasts the pipes slipped to the ground then followed loud snoring mingled with the twittering of the birds who lived all the year round in the perpetual summer of the stallstadt park now was max's time his impatience may be imagined when it is remembered that in the next night at a quarter before midnight frankville having been sentenced by herr schultz would cease to exist he darted into the workshop it was a large building a perfect museum of models hydraulic machines locomotives steam engines portable engines suction pumps boring machines ships ship machinery in fact the masterpieces would be too numerous to mention it was a collection of models in wood of everything made in the schultz manufactory since its foundation and you may be sure that many cannon torpedoes and shells were amongst them the night was dark and favourable to the young alsatian's daring project besides accomplishing his escape he hoped to destroy the stallstadt model museum how he longed to annihilate that huge bull tower with its destructive cannon and all it contained but it was useless to think of that max's first care was to seize a little steel saw fit for filing iron which was hanging from a tool-rack and slip it into his pocket then taking a match from his box he struck it set fire to a heap of drawings and slight fir-wood models and rushed out the fire spreading among all these inflammable materials increased with great rapidity and flames speedily burst forth from every part of the building the alarm bell rang the electric wire carried the news to every quarter of stallstadt 
peals sounded and firemen and engines hastened from all directions at the same moment herr schultz whose presence was well calculated to encourage the workers made his appearance in a few minutes the boilers were under pressure and the powerful pumps at work but in spite of the deluges of water which fell on the walls and roofs the fire gained force and it was soon evident that all hope of mastering it must be given up it was a grand and terrible spectacle crouched in a corner max never lost sight of herr schultz who cheered on his men as if assaulting a town there was no necessity for giving a further helping hand to the fire the museum standing as it did alone in the park would soon be entirely consumed herr schultz seeing that the building itself could not possibly be saved suddenly shouted out ten thousand dollars to whoever will save model number thirty one seventy five from the glass case in the centre this was the very mould of schultz's famous cannon and he valued it above all other things in the museum to reach it however a person would be compelled to make his way through a deluge of sparks and falling wood and an unbreathable atmosphere of dense black smoke it was ten to one that he would escape with his life notwithstanding therefore the magnificence of herr schultz's offer no one answered to his appeal at last a man presented himself it was max i will go said he you exclaimed herr schultz yes i it won't save you from the sentence of death pronounced against you so don't imagine it i do not propose to avoid that but to snatch your precious model from destruction go then answered herr schultz and i swear that if you succeed the ten thousand dollars shall be faithfully made over to your heirs i will depend on you for that returned max several of the galibert apparatus were brought to him they were always at hand in case of fire as they enabled men to venture into the densest smoke max had already made use of one when he tried to save from death dame bower's boy poor little carl one of these was soon filled with air and placed on his back he put the pinchers on his nose took the tube in his mouth and darted into the smoke at last said he this air will last for a quarter of an hour heaven grant that may be time enough as may be imagined max had not the slightest intention of endeavouring to save schultz's cannon model his life every moment in dire peril he made his way across the smoke-filled hall amidst a shower of blazing brands and charred beams mercifully none of them touched him and just as the roof fell in with a fearful crash max escaped at the opposite side of the building to fly towards the stream run along its banks till he reached the unknown opening and plunge in was the work of only a few seconds the rapid current swept him along in a depth of seven or eight feet he had no need to guide himself for the water bore him as straight as if he had held ariadne's clue he soon found that he had entered a narrow channel a sort of pipe quite filled by the overflow of the river what can be the length of this tunnel thought max everything depends on that if i do not pass through it in a quarter of an hour the air will fail 
and i am lost he maintained his coolness and presence of mind ten minutes passed when suddenly he was driven up against some obstacle this was an iron grating on hinges barring the way down the tunnel this is what i feared thought max simply without losing a moment he took the saw from his pocket and set to work on the bolt of the staple five minutes labor did not loosen it the grating remained obstinately closed already max breathed with difficulty there came a buzzing in his ears the blood mounted in his head he felt he would soon lose consciousness he endeavored however to make the most of the small quantity of air remaining by taking breath as seldom as possible though half sawn through the bolt would not yield at that moment the saw slipped from his hands surely god himself cannot be against me was his thought and grasping the grating with both hands he shook it with the despairing energy given by the instinct of self-preservation the grating opened the bolt had given way and the current carried onwards the daring alsatian nearly suffocated yet still feebly struggling as he inhaled the last particles of air in the reservoir the next day when herr schultz's men ventured into the ruins left by the fire they searched in vain among all the debris and still smouldering cinders for any trace of human remains it was evident that the brave workman had perished his daring act astonished none of his friends who had known him in the different workshops the precious model was not saved but the man who was acquainted with the secrets of the steel king was dead heaven is witness that i wish to spare him all suffering said herr schultz to himself in his usual serene fashion at any rate as i know not his heirs i am saved ten thousand dollars such was the only funeral oration pronounced by the philosophical professor over the supposed grave of our young Alsatian. End of section nine.